others well by showing them Jesus, for he is the only way to eternal life. My name is Brian. My wife, Jesse, and I are members of WSBC. Um, it's a privilege to be able to uh, share work with you today. As Christians, we acknowledge that we are created in God's likeness. God is love, so we are made unique this way, so that we are capable to love others. We like to be loved. And today we will be looking at this very famous passage, the love chapter. Well, this is one of the most famous passage in the Bible. It was because you probably have heard of it being recited in wedding or even at a funeral. And you probably have seen it on the greeting card or even people might frame it hanging on the wall at their home. And it's one of the most quoted passage in the Bible, but why I wonder why it's so popular, right? Why is that popularity among so many other passages? Maybe because it's easy for people to relay, or maybe it's saying something that really profound and different. So it really just stands out. So maybe whatever that is, maybe we'll find out in a bit. For some of you who have just joined us, we have started a journey on studying the book of 1 Corinthians a letter written by Paul to call out and to warn Christians from Corinth. It covers a lot of difficult topics, right? From the fight against idolatry, the meaning behind communion, and even talked about sexual immorality and how to be generous towards others, issues on marriage and the mystery on spiritual gift. And now today we are moving on a seemingly an easier subject, the topic of love. Well, it's my prayer through this study together, we will have a good understanding that the true meaning of this passage and hope that through this passage, we can see our sins in life. And most importantly, we can see God's love for us. Well, let's go ahead uh, and read our text and please follow along with your Bible or your mobile device or it's printed in your bulletin. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is God's word. And I'll show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of man and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power in understanding all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I should know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Sounds familiar, right? I hope you have heard this before. But I think the main idea of this passage is this. We should love others well by showing them Jesus, for he is the only way to eternal life. We should love others well by showing them Jesus, for he is the only way to eternal life. And I have three points to support this main point. First one, the danger in seeking excellence but have not love. The danger in seeking excellence but have not love. Second point, how should we love others? By showing others Jesus. How should we love others? By showing others Jesus. Third point, only God's love can bring eternal life. Only God's love can bring eternal life. Well, let's dive into our first point. The danger in seeking excellence but have not love. From verse 1 to 3. Well, I've mentioned this chapter as being one of the most quoted passage, but, but before we go any further, I must clarify the context for you. Right? Well, the passage is written for Corinth Christians. Well, they have many, many issues. They are struggling with unity in the church. Well, let me just refresh your memory. About a month ago, Gabe had preached to us the previous chapter, chapter 12, which we have studied Paul's famous illustration together. He described each member, each church member, it's like a body part in our body. Each has a very specific function, and no one should be jealous over our body part, right? nor anyone would hate their own body part. Well, this illustration is meant to urge church members stop asking the question, he is more important among them. Well, in fact, all members are important. Right? And today's passage, in fact, Paul is not finished yet. He wants to go a little bit more, go, go in a little bit deeper, a little bit more, and continue to expand on this idea to help us to see the bigger issue here. And you can see at verse, actually it's chapter 12, 31b, and I will show you still more excellent way. Well, you meant to connect the two chapters, like I said, he's not done yet. It's meant to connect chapter 12 and 
13 together. And if I help you to fast forward to chapter 14, Paul will continue to talk about the mystery on spiritual gift in details. So for most people, without knowing the context, would think that, well, Paul is probably praising them for doing a great job. But in fact, Paul is actually rebuking the church for what is actually lacking, what is actually missing, what they should have been doing, but they did not do. So he's actually dropping bombs on the Corinth church. I know I talked about people actually heard of this being used in uh, a wedding and, and, and even funeral. Uh, seems like it's, it's perfect for like, uh, uh, a loving couples, right? But uh, I'm sorry to bring that news to you. Uh, if he wants to do that, he would uh, talk about that after chapter 7, which talked about uh, the meaning of marriage and, and a lot of issues on that. Right? But instead, this passage intentionally sandwiched between chapter 12 and 14, it's concerning the issue on unity of the church. So the love you see here is a very, very specific kind of love that he's talking about, which we're going to explain a little bit more. But, but basically, this kind of love, it's among church members, right? So it's not so much on a, on a wedding couples. Um, and, and here also, before, before we go in a little deeper, like we want to talk a little bit of um, the historic background of Corinth, right? Why Paul is talking about more excellent way. What, what's, what's the big deal with this more being more excellent? Well, so for some of you never uh, studied with us, so Corinth was a large city that is actually in control, two major harbors, right? Every trace have to go through the city. So it's, just, it's obvious because of that, it provides a lot of job opportunity. It attracts lots of talents to live and work there, right? So you can imagine it's, it's very intense, very com uh, the com it's very competitive. So people, who wants to go to like Corinth? The motivation is trying to make it to be successful. So it very much sounds like Shanghai, isn't it? So you you will so when like all these elites, all these talents became Christian, gather in and form this church, you can imagine. Um, so it's easy for them to kind of uh, overvalue excellence. So Paul actually understood their mindset and want to draw their attention and tell them that, well, you want to know more about excellence? I'll tell you which, what, I, I'll tell you what's more, even more excellent, the way of love. So from verse, three, verse one to three, Paul gave them actually four scenarios to ask the reader to imagine what's it like to have excellence without love. Well, the first one we can see here, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You have to understand the, Christ, uh, the Corinthian Christian, they were obsessed with impressive speech. And they were also intrigued by the idea that someone able to speak supernatural languages. So in any case, Paul is not impressed. An individual can speak in any language as eloquent as he would like to be, but if there's no love, it's just white noise. And clashing gong and symbol is being used to, uh, it's actually used at pagan temple at that time, and they use that to wake up their, and wake up and get attention from the gods, right? So basically, Paul is saying, you can speak tongues all you want, but without love, you don't even sound like Christians. 
right? So this is really serious. And the second scenario he wants to uh, want them to see is, and if I have pathetic, prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, but have not love. Well, again, they were obsessed with intelligence, insight, and secret knowledge. So to have prophetic power, it's like they could access some higher plane of spiritual knowledge. And they're quite impressed with that, right? But again, Paul is not impressed at all. Well, think of it this way. It's someone who's incredibly smart, very knowledgeable, uh, but the person is constantly trying to find ways to show off his credential and find ways to put people down just in order to make himself look good. Now, you don't, you don't want to hang out with people like that, right? And Paul asked them to consider what knowledge looks like when there's no love. So it's pretty much intelligence minus love equals to ignorance. And the third scenario Paul wants us to see and goes, also you've, you have so much faith so as to remove mountain but have not love. I'm nothing. Well, Corinth Christians were doing similarly what all Christians are called to do. Go to church, listen to a sermon, pray, have communion, do all that. But when it comes to loving others, it just seems like it's missing. So what does it look like for us, right? How do we relate? Perhaps, well, someone here with me will be asking, well, my faith is actually between God and I. It's my personal relationship with God. Why, why do I need to care for others? I don't want to mingle with others. I don't care for others. I have enough to take care of. What does it matter? Again, Paul is not impressed with such faith. Even you can remove mountain, but yet you don't love others? That's nothing. And the fourth scenario, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Well, here, Paul is warning us, warning the reader, well, watch out for loveless charity. Well, here he's giving a very extreme example, right? But you got to understand, in the, in the context of those days, right, people are actually proud to be a martyr. It just seemed like the most holy thing you could do, to die for what you believe, right? But Paul is saying it doesn't matter even you sacrifice yourself. If you're doing this just to make people see you as holy, instead of loving others, again, you still gain nothing. Well, how do we apply this to think about this, right? Because uh, all these very extreme cases, uh, you might think, well, this is not, this is, I can't relate to this, this is not me. But I want you to be careful. For many of us, we actually involve in serving in different ministries. But there's always a danger of seeking success in ministry. I'm not saying we should be sloppy, we should take good care of whatever is assigned to us. But are we sometimes getting a little busy just trying to get things done to my standard, seek perfection instead of like this is supposed to be like this ministry you are in is supposed to be opening door to love others or are we too caught up in minor detail? Again, don't get me wrong. Excellence is a good thing. So if we're just not paying attention, we could turn ourselves into a mini Pharisee. 
So people who are serving in the ministry, we should pray to God that help us to experience His grace through serving, help us to love others through whatever He's assigned us to do. For people who can actually, who can relate to this text, uh, perhaps you should consider commit to a church, sign up for a different ministry to see how you can love others and see how God's grace will, um, will, will reveal your gift through serving. Well, let's continue to look at the verse 4 to 7 uh, and move on to our second point. How should we love others by showing others to Jesus? From verse 4 to 7. Let me read to you again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believe all things, hope all things, endures all things. It really is beautiful, isn't it? It just seems like love can solve all the issues, miraculously just solve and take care of all the problems, answer all the life issues here. Who wouldn't want this kind of love? But if you're being honest, uh, in reality, it really is not that simple, isn't it? Um, well, let me share with you my own little personal experience. Uh, maybe that will help us to understand this context a little bit. So when I first became Christian, I had very limited Bible knowledge. And as one time, my sister and I were in a group chat. Uh, they were arguing some, some kind of issues. Uh, honestly, I don't even remember what was the original issue was. Anyway, uh, it was very small issues and it start, started to get a little personal and escalated quickly. So it turned to like hit a fight between them. Uh, of course, I wanted to do something. I wanted to calm things down, right? So um, at that time, I recall reading a passage that talked about love because I wanted to encourage them to love each other and stop fighting. And um, so it was actually very, it's this very passage. So I really hope that God will intervene and kind of stop that mess. So I quickly just copy and paste and kind of send it into a chat group um, and, um, and, 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 and then silence. So it worked. They stopped arguing for a minute. But after that, instead of fighting among them, they started to pick on me. They're attacking me for being, well, so are you saying you're actually better than us? You're more loving than us? You actually, well, uh, so the pig, it, you know, they just start picking on me instead of like uh, trying to love each other. Uh, it was terrible. I'm glad I actually stopped the fight among themselves, but I feel terrible because I'm leaving them thinking Christian think they're better than others. And that's not Christianity is all about at all. Well, I am thankful that because of this instant, I got to think and process more and pay more attention to this passage because I just didn't know why it didn't work the way I was hoping. And through time, God allowed me to kind of come, finally come to the realization that the mistake I made. And let me explain to you. Well, first of all, like most people, I was taking this passage out of its context. It's not meant to be read like that at all. 
Do you remember I've explained this passage? It's actually not a praise. It's the opposite. It's actually a warning. It's a rebuke. So I basically just send a rebuke into your group chat. And I, without even understanding the context and further explanation, it actually would not make sense. And second, when reading this passage without any explanation, you are actually forcing the reader to think of themselves. What can I offer out of my own limitation? What can I offer? I can offer such love. On a good day, maybe I can be patient with others. On a good day, maybe I don't have to be envy. I could be less arrogant, maybe less rude. But really, bear all things, endure all things, all things, really? Out of my love? I'm not sure. So how should we understand this love? Well, if I may, let's do this. Let's read it one more time. But this time, I wanted you to replace love to Jesus. And we'll read it again. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. He endures all things. I hope you can see the difference. I hope you can see this differently. When you read this passage without Jesus, honestly, it won't make any sense. So with Jesus, our love for others no longer is out of our own limitation. No longer is out of our own strength. We don't need to look inward what I can offer. Instead, we turn our eyes to fix on Christ. Another very important detail, actually throughout this entire passage, the love is being used here in the original Greek text. The word being used here is actually agape. The meaning of this agape love is not a general kind of love. Um, it's actually a very specific kind of love that describes Christ's love. Um, it's actually sacrificial, unconditional love is being mentioned here, agape. So Jesus, he sacrificed for us. It's unconditional. And he didn't expect any favor to be returned, right? Nor we could offer any. So this is a very, very specific kind of love we've been talking about here. You've never heard of the gospel message or this agape love. Well, this is for you. We're all born with sin in us, and we sin against God. And the only way to restore this relationship with God is through His only Son, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus came to this world as man completely sinless, died on the cross for us, for the sins that He didn't commit, his blood washed away all our sins. For us to receive this gospel, we need to respond in repentance. That means that we need to turn away from our sins and put our trust and faith in Christ. Then our identity is in Christ, and we will be adopted into God's family as the children, and we will inherit a place in the heaven. What brought Christ to us, not, not his power, is because his love for us. 
If you're here today, if you've never heard of this gospel message, and you want to know more about how to become a Christian, I welcome you to talk to me or our elder, Luke, after service. I'd love to tell you more about it. As Christian, we should be imitator of Christ to love others well and do so we need to understand Christ's mindset. We can't count on what is returning. We need to learn to have this agape love. We don't love or care for others expecting there's a personal gain. We might not be able to do it right away, but slowly but surely through the power of Holy Spirit, through walking with Christ, it will surely help us to be more Christ-like. Now, let's do this. Let's go back to and look at the first four and five again. Let's see how we can apply it. <clears throat> so we talked about verse four and five. Jesus is patient and kind and does not boast and, and envy. And he's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable and resentful. Again, we don't, at church, right, between members, we don't need to boast. We don't need to impress others. We don't need to envy. Right? At church, we don't need to prove your worth. We know our identity is securing Christ. So, and we know that we're needy people. That's why we need God and we need each other. So lean into each other. You don't need to be here to, to impress others. I mean, in the contrary, you could probably relate. You know, I mean, to be honest, I really, I really uh, have a hard time to go to business meeting. It's, not the, it's like the least favorite thing I do. Why? Because constantly I need to, I need to thinking like, well, what, what is the return here? Am I wasting my time? I need to get something out from this person out of this meeting, whether it's a contract or a connection. I need to gain. So in order to do that, I will have to impress. I have to pursue. I have to insist. Right? All the things that we talked about, like I don't want to do, and, and this is exactly what I have to do. I'm sure most of us can relate to this, right? But at church, between church members, you really don't need to do that. Again, our identity is in Christ. You don't need to boast. You don't need to insist on your own way. You don't need to impress others to prove your worth. And verse 6, he does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. What? Jesus calls us to not to rejoice at wrongdoing. That means that in order to love others well, we are ought to call out and watch out each other's back. So when you see someone struggling in sins, we should call it out with love. We should walk with this person, this brother and sister. Not to condemn them, but to point the person back to Jesus. Uh, you might not have experienced it yet, but man, I, I'm telling you, it's actually much easier to pretend nothing happened. It's not an easy thing to, to tell someone that they're struggling in sin with love. Not easy at all. But to love someone well, love our church members well, this is what it takes. We just can't pretend nothing happened and walk away. And that's what it meant, and that's what Jesus hoped us to do. Help, will help us, and that's what he's hoping us to do. And verse 7, he bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, he endures all things. We don't need to come to church 
pretending everything is fine, we got it all. We can be honest with one another what's going through in our life. God gave us a church body so we can, we can get each other out of the trials. We should pray, lifting prayer for one another, and along with like tangible help. And we know Jesus will bear all things and Jesus will help us to believe the best of others and hope the best for others. For Jesus himself already endures all things. <clears throat> you know, when you be with another Christian, you don't have to worry about running out of things to talk about, feeling awkward. You can always start or end our conversation by asking, how can I pray for you? How can we pray for each other? How do we turn from focusing onto ourselves to focus on others? That's how we grow and love others well. I hope you can see that without Jesus in mind, when you read verse 4 to 7, it's just really hard to understand. Now that you, you understand that, I hope you can see the beauty and the true meaning behind this passage. So don't just copy and paste and send passage to people like I did. <clears throat> we need to love others well by pointing them to Jesus. Let's move on to our third point. Only God's love can bring eternal life. Let me read to you again. Verse 8 to 13. Love never ends as for prophecy. They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I should know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. But well, Paul continued to explain to Corinth's church um, how these spiritual gifts are given to are, are given to them supposedly to help strengthening the church, but instead they're fighting over who is more important. So Paul is giving them one more explanation. Well, he goes, well, you're silly. Your fight is silly, basically. Because in the grand scheme of eternal life, all these gifts won't matter because eventually they will all fade away. The only thing will remain is love. Well, why love will remain? It was because God is love. He's the source of the love. When one day we were in heaven with God, we will be completely in the presence of God himself. And that's all. And that's all it matters. You don't need the prophecy. You don't need knowledge. You don't need the mystery of knowledge. He's right there. Well, the kingdom of God is a very important theme in New Testament. Jesus himself preached about it constantly. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In John chapter 14, 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If you were not so, would I have told you that go to prepare a place for you? This is Jesus' very own word. I encourage you to take some time to read over the Gospel of John, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. I always found encouragement there. 
by reading them. But when you do have a chance to read them again, I want you to pay attention. You will notice Jesus actually constantly talk about a kingdom to come. And in fact, this really is Jesus' biggest mission, isn't it? Old Testament prophet prophesied a kingdom to come. Jesus came to verify these prophecies and even gave us more details. And more importantly, of course, he came to restore our relationship with God the Father so we can be in heaven in eternity. He didn't just want to help us to become a little bit better person in life. I mean, making us a little bit better, that's great. But really think about it. That's not all he's doing. But let's look at uh, verse 9 and 10 again. Uh, you could probably picture, it must be so hard for the people in Old Testament period, right? They listen to prophecy, holding on to the idea a Savior will come to redeem and save them. How ex exactly that would happen, they actually don't know in detail, right? They just have this kind of vague idea. And they can only know in parts. And now we're in a time that, um, the same with uh, the current Christian, we are in the New Testament period. So we know the perfect come is referring to Jesus himself. All other prophecy, the partial, will pass away. So we have a much better idea of what to hope for. And if we continue to look, uh, verse 11 to 12, Paul is actually using two different illustrations to explain this idea. One, he was saying, when you're a child, you have childish ideas about things, but as, you are, as we are growing, we mature, we should give up on childish thinking. Well, the other illustration um, uh, it's being used here, uh, you got to understand in those days, mirror production technique is actually quite limited. You're not able to have like a crisp, uh, very clear reflection. Um, not, not like now these days. So when you look into the mirror, you kind of see a, a reflection sometimes. Uh, it's not very sharp. You might distort it a little bit. So you recognize yourself, but it's not, you know it's not the true reflection. So now when you can meet the real person face to face, again, it's referring to Jesus. Now we are fully known. So I hope you can see that both illustrations are expressing the same idea. You should be able to point, point to Jesus and help us to see a better and clearer pictures of what, what this retentive um, plan is, God's redemptive plan is. In verse 13 here, um, Paul is ending this passage with a benediction. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, this is how we could understand it, right? I have to give you some definition here, like, let's try to um, understand what faith, hope, and love abide. Well, faith is given by God, and faith itself is the foundation of how we are able to believe in gospel in the first place. And how we would place our trust in Christ, not because of our own knowledge. And hope is for us that we know there's an eternal life waiting for us through faith in Christ because we have hope in the future in mind. It should actually shape our everyday life differently. And now when we have faith and hope, that really allow us to have the true love, to have this agape love. So love is the action. So why Paul said it's the greatest? 
It was because when we are in internal life, we don't need faith and hope anymore, right? Because in internal life, faith and hope already turn into sight. We will be completely in the presence of God Himself. And God's love for us will remain unchanged to eternity. Well, we must conclude. We've talked about a danger in seeking excellence in ministry, but neglect love. We have talked about we should love others well by pointing people to Jesus, because Jesus is the only way. I understood when we're talking about eternity, we're talking about eternal life. I understood the topic is hard, right? It's hard for people to relate. It might seem like it's so far away. We still have so much to take care of daily, right? We don't have time for that now. Really, we have to talk about eternity. But it should be our prayer that may God help us to have the perspective of eternal life in mind, help us to have a clear, better image of heaven. This life is not all there is. Again, it's our prayer that God will give us the faith and hope so we can love others well, and people will know us our love for each other. Let's pray. Almighty God, eternal life might seem so far away. God, we pray that you will give us this faith and hope so we can love each other well. Well, thank you for giving us Jesus so salvation is made possible because of him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.